Apple has just launched a brand new $1,600 studio display that's pretty much exactly what a very specific, very fussy segment of the Mac market has been asking for going on nearly six years now. A cinema display, a Thunderbolt display, whatever you want to call it, just take the 27-inch 5K iMac and delete the Mac part, or the LG 5K Ultrafine and delete the LG part. Seriously, anything, anything that isn't 6K for 6K. And Apple's gone and done it, finally. But at the same time, somehow upset a very loud, very vocal handful of tech heads who not only never wanted it, but who also don't seem to understand why the people who do want it do want it. I've been using the pricier nano texture version on loan from Apple for almost a week now. So let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. If you've used a recent 27 inch iMac or iMac Pro 5K Ultrafine, or even the 24 inch iMac, then the studio display is just a slightly better version of those panels. And I'll get to that slightly part in a hot take minute. But why does that even really matter so much to some people? Well, it's 5K and not 4K, because at 218 PPI, that's dense enough that at a normal viewing distance, most people can't readily discern the individual pixels anymore. And it's also native 2X resolution, which means all of those pixels fall precisely on grid, because no matter how good Apple's display scalers are, and they're pretty damn good, pixel-perfect designers and anyone with especially snobby vision really will notice display scaling and pixels falling off grid. They will look for it. They will find it and they will send Liam Neeson to kill it. So yes, 4K at 27 inches would be scaled. And that's anathema to Apple's fussiest customers. The ones who, if you tell them to just get 4K or a gaming monitor, you might as well be telling them to just get a Windows PC because the Mac nerd heart wants what the Mac nerd heart wants. And having to settle for 4K or a gaming monitor or even an ultrafine low these last many years is how that Mac heart broke to begin with. That's also why it's not just the studio display being P3 wide gamut, but that it's individually color calibrated at the factory to match all of Apple's other P3 displays and meticulously color managed through Apple's entire imaging pipeline. So what you shoot on your iPhone or process on your iPad or MacBook will exactly match what you see on your studio display. And that's why some pros really do insist on using Apple gear to begin with. Now, while the pipeline is 10-bit internal, I believe it's still rendering out to a physically 8-bit panel using spatial and temporal dithering to represent that full billion color range, which is a bummer, but I believe that's how all Apple panels work and most commercial panels too, for that matter, because physical 10-bit panels are still kind of rare and kind of expensive especially at scale. Where the studio display is better than both the iMac and the ultrafine is brightness, 600 nits versus 500 nits, which doesn't sound like a huge difference, but it's still a really welcome one. It is LCD though, with an LED backlight, so it's not HDR or high dynamic range. For that, it need OLED like the iPhone or mini LED like the latest iPad Pro or MacBook Pro. And those can be up to 1000 nits sustained sometimes, 1200 to 1500 peak even. So the studio display is still SDR or standard dynamic range. Well, technically EDR or extended dynamic range because LCD lobby rhetoric aside, which yes, is somehow an actual real thing. Apple's been doing a ton of work for a ton of years to provide as close to an HDR experience as they possibly can on LCD SDR displays. It's why they pull from the HDR source 
for TV Plus shows or use the HDR tone map of Dolby Vision videos shot on iPhone. So yes, absolutely, the blacks are still kind of dark gray and the whites can only still get so bright. So it ends up being better than strict SDR, but just still nowhere near full-on HDR. And it doesn't have any of the reference modes for Apple's HDR displays either, only the SDR ones which is also a bummer, a huge one to me personally, but it's arguable how many people outside Dolby and Jonathan Morrison really are all in on full HDR workflows at this point anyway. And at 5K, that would add a fair chunk to the price tag. So my guess is Apple stuck with SDR for the studio display as a bridge to keep the bill of materials down. So it really could be the spiritual successor to the Thunderbolt display, the one everyone's been asking for, and we'll get an updated mini LED Pro Display XDR at the higher end, some point in the not so distant future, and that'll be for everyone who really is all in on XDR. I mean, even beyond the 6K. Now, the studio display is also locked at 60 hertz and doesn't have the up to 120 hertz adaptive refresh rate that Apple markets as promotion. The one that came to the iPad Pro in 2017 and the iPhone Pro and MacBook Pro in 2021, which, yes, absolutely, 120 is better than 60. Hell, I would take 480 in a heartbeat if it was physically possible. But in this case, it's less about cost or segmentation and more about just the limits of the implementation because 5K is a lot of pixels, so many pixels. When Apple first took the iMac to 5K, they had to build their own custom timing controller or TCON just to do it so the two streams they were stitching together wouldn't occasionally tear right down the middle. But they could only do that internally, at least back then. So we gained 5K, but lost target display mode, which I think a lot of us still lament and would seriously love to have back to this day. But even today, 5K still is just a lot of pixels, still so many. And the current DisplayPort 1.2 protocol, the one supported by Thunderbolt 4, just can't handle 5K at 120 hertz at the same time. So while I'm super curious what Apple will do with the next XDR display, I'll only be expecting 5K, 6K, 7K at 120 hertz if and when we see it. Also, like the 27-inch iMac, but unlike the LG Ultrafine, Apple's offering a nano texture option for the studio display for an extra 300 bucks. It's what I've been testing for the last week, and while it's inarguably better than the traditional anti-glare coatings, which really just gunk up the crispness and clarity of the display, it's still not as good as the non-nano texture option, the normal option, and it's just way fussier to keep clean. So if you aren't stuck in a studio or a location where you can't control the glare, I would still stick with the normal option. But taken all together, the studio display looks as good as any standard dynamic range display can possibly look. Basically, six-star Raid Boss LCD. And all wrapped up in an all-aluminum, aluminum, Apple enclosure that's halfway between the 24-inch iMac and the 32-inch Pro Display XDR, even including smaller versions of the vent holes because, well, it doesn't need the massive thermal management system of a reference monitor, it does need to pull the heat off that big backlight. And I really like the industrial design in general. It's simple, elegant, sturdy, and obviously built to last. Basically the complete entire opposite of the LG Ultrafine, of which I've owned three or four now and had the Wi-Fi interference issue on the first one and the display muck-up issue on the second or third one. Pretty much why everybody who wanted these panels back with Apple wanted them back with Apple to begin with. About the only thing I don't really like is the default stand option. It's incredibly well engineered for what it does, obviously, but it only does one thing, tilt back and forth, not up and down, never mind around, which 
yes, sure, has been exactly a limitation of all recent iMacs and non-XDR Apple displays as well, but the UltraFine does provide exactly that full range of functionality. And from the company that had the god mode of adjustable stands way back in the day with the second generation Pixar-style iMac, it'd be all shades of considerate to just give the people more here, especially with so many of us stuck at home now for so long where we can't just plunder Dunder Mifflin office supplies to stack underneath it anymore. No, now we have to use discarded Amazon boxes stuffed inside each other like animals. And you can replace the basic stand with a visa mount at no extra cost or a height adjustable stand for an extra $400 at the time of purchase. But you really have to do it at the time of purchase because you can't swap them later, like at all, which also seems hella weird from the company who made changing watch bands eight times a day a thing. Ports are the same as the Ultrafine 5K as well and previous generation Apple displays. One Thunderbolt to connect to your Mac and charge it if it's a MacBook up to 96 watts, as well as three USB-C to plug in and charge all your accessories and peripherals up to 10 gigabits per second. And not gonna lie, I would love, all caps love, more and faster ports here, but that would mean extra IO controllers inside, so extra cost, which not even the Pro Display XDR has, and Apple seems just perfectly content to have those live on the new MacBook Pro and Mac Studio now anyway. With that single upstream Thunderbolt, you plug it in, route it through the cable management circle on the back, Yes, you do have to route it through that. Then connect your Mac and that's it. Quick and oh so clean. But yeah, pretty much everything, everyone who just wanted a new cinema display, Thunderbolt display, a 5K iMac without the Mac, an LG Ultrafine in an enclosure that's actually fine with slightly better than iMac's brightness, even if slightly worse than the Ultrafine's adjustable stand, all gift wrapped and delivered in a bead blasted aluminum Apple box something simply no other vendor has been willing or able to provide, a literal Commander Sinclair level hole in the market's mind, filled, finally. But, quad major but, Apple didn't even stop there. They also added an A13 Bionic, the system on a chip from the iPhone 11, which, depending on how you look at it, might just seem all shades of overpowered, underutilized, or kind of both, because worst things first, the webcam which has been the subject of a brouhaha from reviewers who actually managed to file on time, unlike me. But I was getting the Mac Studio review up, so make sure you watch that and hit subscribe for way more. But the gist is this, the camera hardware is the exact same 12 megapixel ultra wide angle paired with the A13 image signal processor or ISP that you can find on the current ninth generation iPad. Same ultra wide as in the latest iPad Air as well, albeit they have the M1 ISP, which is based on the A14 or one generation newer silicon. And the reason for going ultra wide is to support center stage, Apple's name for the pan and scan zoom in and out technology that uses the neural engines and machine learning to recognize and lock onto one or many faces in the frame and to keep them in the frame even as they move around or come in and out of frame. And it's great for FaceTime and WebEx and Zoom for kitchens and living rooms, even office conferences, if and when you have people back in the offices to actually conference. But it's also a real compromise because megapixels or pixel quantity have never really mattered as much as pixel quality and ultra wide cameras stuffed into ultra thin enclosures never tend to be as good as even lower megapixel non-ultra wides. So basically you're trading selfie integrity for video call capability, which is fine if you consider center stage worth that sacrifice and not so fine if you don't. Now, 
Normally, Apple counts on the ISP, the image signal processor, and computational photography and videography to make the camera hardware do more than the optics themselves would normally allow. And that's how the iPad 9 still gets pretty good selfies out of the exact same spec. But on the studio display, something seems to be going wonky or just plain wrong, and faces just look flat and kind of mopey and just not what you'd expect from a modern Apple camera, even a center stage camera, which kind of reminds me of the issues we had with the iPhone XS selfie cam and its A14 smart HDR implementation. Now, Apple says, just like then, they're working on a fix now, either for macOS, the studio display firmware, both. So we'll have to just wait and see how that goes. But again, it's the exact same hardware as a ninth gen iPad, so there's no reason to expect or accept that it'll be any worse than that iPad. The A13 is also being used for noise canceling for what Apple calls studio quality mics, basically the equivalent of a mid-range USB podcast mic if you're in a pinch or you just don't use one often enough to have a dedicated mic available. This is the 2022 studio display, 12 megapixel webcam and studio quality mics. This is the 2020 13 inch MacBook Pro camera and microphone. This is the M1 13-inch MacBook Pro 720p webcam and studio quality microphones. This is a Logitech 920 1080p camera and microphone. This is the Logitech 4K Brio camera and microphone. This is the 11-inch iPad Pro front-facing camera and microphone. This is the 2022 iPad Air 5 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera and mics. This is the 2021 ninth-generation iPad 12 megapixel camera and mics. This is the 2022 studio display, 12 megapixel webcam and studio quality mics. This is the 2021 16 inch MacBook Pro 1080p camera and studio quality mics. This is the 2021 iPhone 13 Pro 4K camera and microphones. The A13 is also being used for True Tone, which dynamically changes the white balance based on ambient light temperature. So the display never looks too blue or too yellow is also being used as the always on processor for Siri voice activation for those Macs that don't do it natively, like the Mac mini studio or pro and computational sound processing for spatial audio, which creates a virtual 3D soundstage up to and including handling full on Dolby Atmos streams, like what you hear with AirPods Pro, AirPods Max, or any recent MacBook Pro or iMac combined with a six speaker system using four force canceling woofers, similar to what the MacBook Pro uses to make sure that the desk doesn't rock alongside with your music. And for people who don't have dedicated speakers and wanna go ear naked, it is legit one of the best sounding Apple speaker systems yet. And at this point, that's really saying something. But that's about it for the A13. Apple hasn't surfaced any HomePod type functionality that would let you pair two studio displays as a single speaker system for like an even larger, wider soundstage. So if you have two or more of them, you have to select which one you wanna use for AV at any given time. Also, any form of built-in AirPlay or sidecar running on the A13 via like HomeOS or anything else. So if the studio display isn't already connected to another Mac, you can't just stream to it wirelessly. You have to go and plug in the cable, which yes, hard lines are best lines. But if you're on your MacBook and just don't wanna bother with a cord at the moment, that would be hella cool. And like spatial audio, center stage, universal control, these are the kinds of uniquely differentiated features that gets Apple into, or in this case, back into markets. The integration from silicon to software 
that gets that single yes for every thousand no's, which frankly is also how Apple gets to charge what they do for people who truly believe that the value they're providing is worth way more than the cost, which is 1600 bucks for the base model here, 300 more than the LG Ultrafine, which gets you better brightness, materials, build quality, speakers, mics, and the A13 Bionic, plus a way sturdier if way less adjustable stand. Also, $200 less than the last 27-inch iMac, which had the exact same stand, but included an Intel chipset, storage, way more RAM and ports, keyboard, mouse, and a chin. Though, I can't help wondering if instead of an A13, Apple had just thrown an M1 into this exact same package and priced it starting at 400 more, 2000 minus a buck even, would anyone, anyone just so much as blinked? And probably not, even though we'd end up right back where we started demanding a standalone display at less than 6K. But if you really truly do want a more capable Apple display and you want it now, that's what the Pro Display XDR costs with a stand. But if you're patient, if you're willing to wait, we might just get a mini LED version of the XDR at some point in the future, even if that point is months or even another year out. That's what I'm personally going to be doing because that's what I care about. If you don't, if you don't even care about the quality of the enclosure, you can save a few hundred bucks and get the less than fantastic plastic of the LG Ultrafine when it comes back into stock, presumably sometime in Q2 2022. Or, I mean, any one of those 4K gaming monitors Everyone who doesn't get Apple displays is just super happy to recommend everyone else get. There's a metric ton of them on the market and some of them are really great. But if you've been asking for, nay, demanding a return of the cinema display, the Thunderbolt display, the iMac without the Mac, the LG Ultrafine without the LG, whatever, then just go get the studio display because Apple just gave your fussy Mac nerd heart exactly what it's been demanding which is also exactly what I'm doing with my new exclusive studio tour series on Nebula. Taking you through everything I use to make these videos, episode one, camera gear, and episode two, mics and sound are already live, and I'm working on episode three, lighting, right now. Basically, everything all of you have been asking for, basically for always, but would just never work at all on this channel, given how YouTube works. But where on Nebula, a bunch of your favorite education creators we all have the absolute luxury of making videos that don't have to be optimized for YouTube at all, including bonus and extended versions of videos that I know the nerdiest, most hardcore of you will totally love, all ad-free, sponsor-free on Nebula, and bundled in for free when you sign up with today's sponsor at curiositystream.com slash Richie, or click the link below. And right now, today, because you're watching this video, you can get CuriosityStream on sale for 26% off less than 15 bucks a year, way, way less than the cost of a bistro burger, fancy pizza for the whole entire year. And that includes their thousands of amazing documentaries and series like James Webb, the $10 billion space telescope told by the people who have devoted their lives to it, to longer wavelength coverage that could help us see the first galaxies that formed in the early universe. It is the absolute best way to support educational creators directly and just the best damn deal in streaming today. For over 26% off CuriosityStream, less than 15 bucks a year, and Nebula bundled in for free, just click the button on the screen or go to curiositystream.com slash Clicking on that button really helps out this channel, and so does hitting up this playlist for even more hyper-detailed videos 
on all the latest Macs, Apple Silicon, and everything coming next. So hit up that playlist, and I'll see you in the next video.